This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, November 7th, 2020. Still 2020. Oh boy, is it. <laughs> Yes, it is November. We already have our first fan request of the day. I'm going straight to the chat, DW. I hope you don't mind. Go for it. Bradford Walker, we are going to not talk about. It's been a terrible week. We're not talking about any of that crap. We, this is nothing but rainbows and sunshine here on the Geek Gab. Wouldn't you agree, Daddy Warpig? Oh, sure. Rainbows and sunshine. Uh, no, actually, it's been a good day for me because... Supposedly today was supposed to be the first day of like heavy snowstorms, and uh, I don't think it's happened. Oh, good! I mean, that's a mixed so, blessing. Uh, I I do recall enjoying the snows of Utah, but I mean, you only need three or four good snowstorms a year before you're like, all right, let's let's bring on the, the warm weather. Let's move this on. Yeah, I, I, honest to gosh, when I become uh, wealthy, I'm moving to some place that is moderate, moderately warm, to where I will neither have to broil in summer nor freeze in winter, because I am getting tired of both of those things. You know. I, uh, Everybody says that, and they end up somewhere in eastern Florida or near Los Angeles. And that's how you get those two places. I, I really, really would like not to end up either in Hurricane Alley or in uh, Hell on Earth. So I've been strongly thinking about tracking down John Mollison. This is not a joke. I am seriously considering this. This is an action plan that I came up with just in the last week. So this tells you how serious I am, is I have actually formulated a step-by-step -step plan to... Uh, prepare myself for the future eventuality of moving to a nice warm place. I want to track down John Mollison, who lives in Hawaii, and talk to him about what it's like to live in Hawaii, and see if that's a place I can reasonably move to once I have the money. You think that I'd be doing a bit at this point. I am not doing a bit. This is a life <laughs> change. I am actually seriously considering making when I have the money. I am also considering U.S. islands such as Guam, the Virgin Islands, or someplace in the Caribbean. There's a, also a, a little-known island out in the Pacific that basically has some sort of old military base and a bunch of scuba divers, and that's it, called Kwajalein. 
my uh, I knew someone who actually got a, a job out there working for the government. Spent like five years around nobody on an island, just working in some office. There you go. I just would really like to live in a place that's not Utah. I love Utah. Don't get me wrong, but I hate the weather. I hate, hate the weather. <clears throat> that's too bad. It's had nothing but nice things to say about you. Uh, oh. Hey. I don't, I don't want to go on about the weather. I want to no. change the subject. This is great. This is great. Um, I'm enjoying the first week of November. Even though it, I'm in the land of the Douglas fir, there are many deciduous trees turning. I've got a bright orange burst just outside my window. I love fall. I love to hear about it. Uh, this is this is my second or third favorite season. This is just fantastic. That was a joke. There are only four seasons. Come on, help me out here. I'm sorry. I'm still plowing my way through. <laughs> You're not supposed to set me up for your mama jokes like that. It doesn't work. I'll be honest. I've got a little bit of a migraine today. Not a huge one, just a little bit of a one. Just enough to kind of slow me down. I'm trying to plow through that, trying to get to that point of, you know, complete, uh, complete awakeness and awareness and snappiness. I haven't reached there yet. I was hoping starting the show would snap me out of it. Well, that's okay. I wanted I... to start the show with the traditional, how was your week, Dornall? But you've already told me how was your week. Before the show started, <laughs> <laughs> how was my week? How was everybody's had quite a week? <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm focused on the beautiful colors, hanging out with my pal. Um, oh, I had a great conversation with my aunt. Uh, where I talked about some of the... Did, did I tell you that I was doing a little um, ancestry research no. the past, past month? I did I did some of that. Uh, well, let me just say, first of all, the, uh, the conversation was nice. She was able to sort of corroborate some of the stuff I had learned about you know my family. Um, I will have to plug ancestry.com. I subscribed to that for a month, and one of my other aunts has done a lot of work on that site, and so I used some of that, and I dug a little more into the other side of my family tree. And between Ancestry.com's search engine and the fact that all these governments and records places have gotten their records scanned in online and searchable, in the past 10, 20 years. It's amazing what you can find. And for me, much of my heritage is Irish. Uh, it's it's tough to get records any older than, you know, 1850, but that's old enough <clears throat> for you to determine, uh, if you're American, to, to determine, okay, which of my ancestors came across and when did they land at Ellis Island, right? 
cool stuff. Absolutely. It's a, it's a little expensive at like $20 a month, but it was great. Um, and yes, shout out to Utah. A lot of the a lot of the records in the databases and search engine relies on all the hard work done in Provo. Um, there's speaking of Utah, nobody's into genealogy. I, I say I, I don't know of anybody in, as into genealogy as the Mormons out there, and it's it's cool. It's a really cool service. I was one of those volunteers for a while. Oh yeah, what was that like? Um, it was very, very interesting, but man, when you got into trying to read Italian, there were people there who had done it for long enough that they could read it handwritten Italian records from before World War II, but holy crap, I could not do that, uh, because they have this weird system of calligraphy, um, or, uh, cursive. And it was almost impossible to read. I loved doing uh, Revolutionary War recruitment records because those were just fascinating. Um, and then, of course, World War II records uh, were great just to read names and where people came from and uh, you know, them signing up and putting it down, those were not primary records for research, but you got to put them in and then people could find them and attach them to other records for to make the genealogical discoveries more full as, uh, you know, as supporting evidence of the existence of this person. Um, it was great. It was great volunteer work. Um, I enjoyed it quite a lot, and you were actually helping people um, find out more about their family, find out about their service in World War II or the Revolutionary War. Um, you know, we did, I did, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, marriage records. I did a whole slew of marriage records for um, black citizens in Georgia for... Um, the 1930s, um, and also uh, went back to the, like, I'm going to say 1910s in the Deep South, and you would just run across really odd, uh, incongruous um, marriages. Like, you'd be flipping through it, and all of a sudden you'd run across one that was like a 40-year-old woman and 19-year-old man getting married. Um, and uh, most, the, old, the old Grover Cleveland trick. I like it. Most of them were, were white people getting married. The vast majority were. But you run across uh, a white woman and a black man occasionally, or a white man and a black woman and you just be thinking, and these were in municipal, uh, in one city, in a municipal city, a uh, big city. Um, and you'd be thinking, or I'd be thinking, I just wonder what the story was behind that. Like, what had happened to make some of these people uh, hooking up? I ran across one where there was a, um, 
a Jewish man and a black woman in 1910 in the deep south. And you're like, I really wonder, you know, how those people met, what, how they fell in love, what made them decide to get married. <clears throat> yeah. Um, at, at that time when that was, that was a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. I just, I wanted to know, I wanted to know who they were and what their life was like. It was fascinating. Wow. And so, you know, that's why, uh, that's why I'm sure, you know, people in their family line who had them as their ancestors would be even more interested than I was uh, or could be. So it was great feeling like I was, you know, contributing to their descendants, getting to learn more about their ancestors, actually doing something to help them someday. It's so rewarding. Uh, <clears throat> I had the same experience on a much smaller scale. Um, of course, users can contact each other. So I was contacted from someone who was like, hey, I think we're related. Uh, I don't know how. And so I, I spent a couple of hours working on my tree and looked at their tree. And I was like, oh, yeah, this guy right here in, in this part of your tree, that's my grandfather. Boom, done. I was <laughs> like, oh, cool. So I've got like a I've got some fourth cousin over in Boston or something like that, you know, distant <laughs> relative. That's cool. And it was nice to sort of help him out. Really rewarding. <clears throat> oh yeah. Well, I mean, the the uh, one secret I found is that in uh, at Ellis Island, when you were, uh, I, I don't know who determined where the immigrants go. Whether it was a decision of the U.S. government or um, word of mouth amongst the immigrants, but just about every. Irishmen who crossed from the southwest of Ireland, places like County Cork, they all went straight from Ellis Island to New Haven, Connecticut. It was this really? it was just a big Irish community in New Haven. And there's at least one family. I'm not making this up. There's at least one family who resided in two houses on the same street in New Haven for over a hundred years. Wow. It was, yes, it was from the beginning of the, you know, large immigration, right? Ellis Island and so forth. Up until the 20th century, they, they're through the 20th century. They lived, this is huge Irish immigrant community in the same neighborhood in New Haven. <clears throat> Interesting. I, I've got new new information. Um, Matthew Martin, this is fascinating. New Haven was where the Knights of Columbus were founded, and their founder was just beatified last week. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to look into this. That's uh, I need to know more. Of course, yeah, All and you look at all the records, and of course, all, all the Irish parts of my family, it's, it's like 100% Roman Catholic, and, and so it was a big... Well, what can I say? It was just a big ethnic Irish community. Um, I I love that stuff. It's so interesting. I had no idea Connecticut was a big Irish uh, settlement. Yes, um, <clears throat> uh, Connecticut was a big destination for Irish and Italian immigrants. 
uh, I, I've talked about this on the show, actually, when I went to Italy for a nice visit. Yes, it's as gorgeous as they say, by the way. I found the best pizza was in Naples, right? Uh, you're, you're in southern Italy, beautiful area, tastiest pizza. I found out that most of the Italian immigrants that settled in New Haven and New York City, they're from Naples. It's all it's all southern Italian oh. people. I was like, oh, I get it. And the guys that you find in New Jersey, where you find the most outstanding seafood dishes, right? I, You know I love food, but anyway, they're Sicilian. Okay. So the Sicilians ended up, and that's where you get the sort of stereotypical Jersey Shore mafia, right? Like the, the, the New York mafia, the, the New Jersey mafia, that sort of that stereotype. That's a, a Sicilian stereotype. And, and Connecticut has lots of Irish and lots of Italian and a fair bit of Polish. Basically, basically all the Catholics showed up on Ellis Island and, and they shipped them off to New England. <laughs> the history is fascinating. Oh, and of course, uh, Massachusetts famously. You know, Boston's Boston's the other huge um, Irish um, diaspora city in the Northeast. See, in, in Utah, basically got people from uh, Britain, the British Isles. But they were all converts to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and then we started getting converts from all over. Uh, but that was the original large part of it was England, the Isle of Man, uh, which is where my recent ancestors came from uh, in the turn of the last century, 100 years ago. Uh, uh, my ancestors were Cowleys from the Isle of Man, and they uh, were pioneers. They got to America and sold what they had to come over here, to, to come to Utah. So they arrived in Utah with nothing. So we don't have any family heirlooms or anything going back old because uh, – they couldn't get to Utah carrying those. And so I, my recent ancestors literally walked across the plains to get to Utah. Wow. Um, That's a cool story. And, uh, but on the other hand, I also have ancestors on both sides of my family who came over on the Mayflower. So. Yeah, Mayflower represent. So, I, uh, so you could, you're, you're like the old school wasp Mormon hybrid. Is that? <laughs> yeah, I have. I'm an OG American. I have American blood going back to 1600. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't open with that. You don't. You know. <clears throat> you don't. You don't say that on the first date. Like, hey, uh, do you know? You know, my ancestors came on the Mayflower. Want to go? <laughs> Want to go back to my place? <clears throat> it, it doesn't really work anymore. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I love that stuff. 
Well, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely nothing. It, you really have to. It really puts into perspective just how much we have in America, just as people, and um, how plentiful this place is. Because uh, I, you know, I have a similar story. One of my great great grandfathers, the the one one of the ones who actually came across, is just a manservant in someone's home. It had nothing. Borrowed fifteen pounds sterling from a cousin to pay for his ticket. Ten years later, he's in New Haven. He's got a mortgage. He's married, and he's like had three out of ten kids. Right? You go from nothing to, at the very least, having a home and a steady job, and it's about it's amazing. It's really amazing. All right. Um, well, I will tell you what. I have been woefully, uh, woefully underread for a long time. I have not been reading nearly as much as I have wanted to. Um, And so, instead of watching movies and TVs, TV shows and stuff the last few weeks, um, I have been reading, like, because I can read, I have been reading, like, so many hours a day. Like, seriously, seven or eight hours a day, I've just been tearing through books and stuff. Holy cow, what kind of stuff have you been reading? I read, um, let's start. I read the uh, Monster Hunter trilogy that John Ringo did with Larry Correa. Monster Hunter Grunge, Monster Hunter Sinners, Monster Hunter Saints. Um which is about the MHI universe back in the 1980s. Um, I was misled into reading Larry Correa's um, Son of the Black Sword books, which there's three of them published, because I was under the impression that it was a trilogy and I was lied to. <laughs> it is not a trilogy. I know because I read the three books and it did not come to a satisfactory conclusion. <laughs> oh. Not that not that they weren't connected, but they we're it is not a completed trilogy. It's not over. I got oh. to the end of the third book and I was like, what the hell? Should have known better. It's a fantasy series. Those don't actually end. Yeah, it's an epic fantasy series. So I don't know if he's got it planned out to 10 volumes or what, but. That would be suicide. Yeah, you can't do that. You should know by now that planning an ending to your uh, series is you're literally writing your death date. You just. <laughs> just toss it in. Because you know, when as soon as you get to that penultimate book, it's over. You're going to catch something. 
Um, and John Ringo also has a zombie series out. Um, I think it's called the Black Tide Rising series. Um, and Chuck Gannon wrote a book set in the same setting, working with Ringo. So I decided I'd start the series over to remind myself of what's going on and to read the couple of books I hadn't read in the series yet and then start and then, you know, find the uh, end up with his. And I've read the first three books in the series. I literally got done with the third one about a half an hour before the show started today. So I was reading for two hours before the show today. Wow. What's the name of those books again? Uh, Black Tide Rising series. So, I've been reading a lot of John Ringo recently. Before the before uh, the Saints Sinners Grunge uh, books. In fact, I read his. Paladin of Shadows. They're the ones that started off as... The first one is a really twisted, like, techno-thriller erotica book, which I did not read. Uh, that's Ghost. I did not read that. But the second book on gets more techno-thrillery. And by the end, there's really no sex in them at all. So I read that series before I started the MHI ones again. Uh, so, yeah, I've read a lot of John Ringo in the past uh, month or so, past few weeks. And he's a, he's a Mill SF guy like Larry Correa, right? Yes, uh, he, the legacy of Aldenada is some really great stuff. That's all Mill SF. Although the book he did with uh, Colonel Kratman, Colonel Tom Kratman, if I'm saying the name right, which is called Rot Watch on the Rhine, is really dark. It is just depressing. I mean, don't oh. get me wrong, the good guys, I don't think there are any good guys. The guys that are fighting for the survival of humankind win. But man, is it grim. Grim book. Um, and, uh, yeah. But I've been enjoying the heck out of being able to read again. Uh. There was a while there where I couldn't read at all, and it was very, very depressing. Oh, and I also uh, I read about 
an eight-month backlog of Justice League Dark. Um, when they rebooted the DC Universe for the last time, um, they they have like four different sub-Justice Leagues, and they might have canceled a couple of them recently. But one of them was Justice League Dark, which is the magic Justice League. They deal with magical threats. Um, so Wonder Woman is in charge, and they've got Man Bat and Detective Chimp and the Swamp Thing, uh, Zatara, John Constantine. Um, so I started reading that when it first came out, and I love it. It's it's fabulous. They've done just great stuff with it, and I've uh, I haven't been reading it for the last nine months, maybe ten months, because I haven't been able to read a whole lot. So I just got. You know, in the middle of in the middle of reading all this, right after I finished Paladin of Shadows and before I picked up uh, MHI again, um, I read you know nine issues of that in a row, which was all brand new, and that was just great. That was awesome to be able to read it. It was well written. I enjoyed the characters. I think the team doing it is uh, doing a, a killer job. Um, I also caught up on the Terrifics mostly, and the team doing that is doing an incredible job now. It's much better than it was at the beginning. I'm still sad uh, that they had to drop the silencer. I'm hoping for a comeback on that character sometime, but um, I'm really glad that the Terrifics have gotten better. Uh, that's another comic book series by DC. Um so, I don't know. Do you want me to do some reviews on these? I'm, I, I've, you've just hit me with the fire hose. I, <laughs> I heard a bunch of, I heard a bunch of stuff that came out. Why don't you, why don't you pick one to talk about? What? Um, okay, I, I, I'll do this like an interview. So, Daddy Warpig, which one of those titles? really stood out to you as a great read or a great example of something that uh, that really inspired you? The monster... All of them are great reads, otherwise I wouldn't be reading them. Um, because I've stuck with... I think it's now 25 or 27 issues of... The Terrifics, about the same of um, Justice League Dark. And I guarantee you, I would not have stuck with comic book series that I'm actually paying for at four bucks an issue if they weren't worthwhile. Because four dollars for 22 pages of comic is not worth it if they're not good uh, sure i could do better with that money <laughs> better things with that money um i just i love the atmosphere and mood of justice league dark they're dealing with witches and monsters and dark things that go bump in the night and magical stuff, artifacts, uh, cabals of magicians, and 
It's just great. I love all that stuff. And it's comic book magic. It's not high fantasy. It's not sword and sorcery, really. It's comic booky magic, which I've always kind of had a thing for. And so, yeah, a large part of it is I just enjoy the milieu. I just enjoy the characters. I just enjoy where they go and who they deal with. Um, Etragon, uh, the rhyming demon, which is a DEC character I've always got a kick out of ever since he first I first read him back in the 70s. Um, comic book demonology is fun because it's usually not serious and super grim and dark. And they do interesting things out of them because they make them comic book heroes and villains. Is that, oh, let me hazard a guess. Is that because they're so outsized, you know, larger than life? It's it's crazy supernatural stuff. It's, it's fun to render those in images. It's, yeah. it's fun to play around with that. They're, they're colorful. Um, like your character from, uh, the campaign we did, uh, I'm drawing a blank it, because everything I play is awesome. Necessary evil. <clears throat> oh yeah. It, it was sort of like a evil Dr. Strange, uh, you know, warlock harnessing the powers of hell to do yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love horror movies. Like The Exorcist and things like that, you know, demon possession and um, that found footage thing, paranormal activity, right? I like those. Those are more serious. Those are darker and, you know, scary. And comic book demonology isn't like that. Um, it's big and it's colorful. Um, and, and even when it is a little bit grimmer, like in Hellblazer, it's still comic booky um mm -hmm. and a lot uh not everything that they face but a lot of it is in that camp and it's just it's great and it's fun and that's why i like justice league dark um and i've had great plots they've had uh, a long-running uh enemy they've been dealing with um and it's just, it's fighting bad guys and winning, and it's not this misery, woke, um, lecturing. It's comic book heroes fighting comic book bad guys and, you know, things invading from outside of what they thought they knew reality was and just just love it just great um so the characters are great too detective chimp is he he came from another DC series I don't know about. And so I, I didn't know about his character until this series. But the way he is in this series is awesome. Um, 
he's just fun and funny. He's this world weary detective. He's a detective noir character, right? Have you ever seen film noir movies? Yeah, Philip Marlowe. Yeah. Yeah, Philip Marlowe. He's Philip Marlowe who's been turned into a chimpanzee. <laughs> because it's a comic book and screw you, I can draw what I want. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and he's been given a magic sword that's like a key to a pocket dimension of magic. Uh, and it's a powerful magical weapon, only it doesn't work right anymore. <laughs> and so he just sits at a bar and drinks and helps him. He's a detective. He's not as good as Batman, but he's one of the best detectives in the world. Only he's stuck in the body of a chimpanzee. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, that's a fun character to be around. It, it, can he can he talk though, or is he is he forced yeah, to yeah. like write? Oh, yeah. I, I can imagine this poor guy's like got these amazing analytical skills, but he's forced to scrawl on a chalkboard when he needs to talk to people. <laughs> <clears throat> he's just fun, and one of the other characters is Man Bat which I don't know if you remember from Batman the Animated Series. He's the guy who, Kirk, who drank the potion and turned into um, turned into a giant man-sized bat. Um, he's got control of the transformation now, um, but he is absolutely this rigid believer in science and reason and chemistry and physics. Only now he's had to accept that magic is real, and he's been struggling with that over the first part of the series. And now he's trying to find some way to uh, systematize magic and organize magic and understand magic. And he's researching magic. And he's just, uh, he's actually been a huge asset to the team, and he's a lot of fun. Um, to have around because he's got this completely different um, outlook on the whole situation. Uh, and all the magicians think he's nuts to try and come at magic like this, but he's actually been the source of a lot of their big breakthroughs into the mysteries of what's going on. They just picked a good range of characters to be on the team that have conflicting viewpoints on magic and come at it from totally different directions, but they all work together um, to make a good team. And they've and Justice League Dark has been around for a while. This is just the rebooted version. They've even had a Justice League Dark cartoon TV series uh, that was done recently. Uh, maybe for the DC channel or something. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it's just a fun comic series and I really enjoy it. Oh, that's heartening to hear. I I think, I guess what I'm hearing is as someone who, who doesn't really <clears throat> care much about the medium. At the end of the day, it sounds like you really need good writers who care about their craft, who care about the the medium they're engaging in, 
who are willing to, who are going to think about okay which characters are we going to use how are we going to use those characters how are we going to make this fun and interesting because without seeing the actual covers and the images that you're talking about right i i'm not looking at the pages as you did i'm just listening to your description it sounds like you've got writers who actually care and want to tell the story and and who are either given or chose these characters and said wow here's some cool things i can do with this character to make him appropriate or 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 make it interesting or or really think about what would this character do in this setting and and that's tough to do and and that's what i'm hearing from you yes they put thought into making entertaining stories. So. Amen. Uh, well, that's cool. Um, so we talked about Justice League, League Dark. I want to I wanna go back to um, the MLSF books that you read. Uh, I, had a, I had a question. This is sort of a, a personal thing. I read... Um, Monster Hunter International. Uh, it was like a free, free on Amazon ebook, and uh, it was kind of fun, but I, it didn't make me want to read more Larry Korea. So, and I've been told that the Son of the Black Sword is better, and I've also also been told that he he refined his craft and got much better. So, that notwithstanding, um, help me, uh, help me, someone who didn't think much of it. Help me understand what makes those Korea and Ringo books so, uh, um, what's the word, interesting, so engaging. Well, MHI was his first book. Uh, for, and so for first book, it's like if you put it in that light, it's a really good first book. Um, and, you know, he didn't take as long as um, Butcher did to get off the ground. Um, but, uh, you got to understand this about Larry, Larry fundamentally on a really deep level doesn't get genre. He doesn't understand genre limitations. And he's kind of like a he's kind of like a caveman if you gave him a Nintendo Switch. In that the Nintendo Switch in this analogy is, you know, a genre of fiction. He takes it, he pounds it against the rock until shiny stuff comes out, and then he plays with it and makes something that's all his own. He definitely doesn't play with it as a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> but somehow what he makes from it is even cooler than a Nintendo Switch. He just comes in and writes what he thinks is cool without worrying about there's no genre limitations. He just comes in and makes a Larry Korea-shaped hole in the wall, and either you like it or you don't. Right. So he has a series 
that is a fantasy steampunk superhero or a series set just prior to World War II. Um, and it's after he's written a few of his Monster Hunter International series. And so he's had a lot of time to work on his craft. And you might find... That the first book of that series might be more up your alley. It's called the Grim Noir Chronicles. And the first book is called Hard Magic. Hard Magic. Oh, yeah. It's a detective noir, fantasy noir, steampunk superhero series. And there might be a couple more in there I forgot. Okay. I mean, yeah, if you're going to that, – that's where you go all in and you're, you say, you know what? What do we call this so that everybody knows exactly what it is just by the title? Hard magic. Just let's just put a Carrie Dresden knockoff character on the front cover. Boom, nailed it. <laughs> um, or you might just try the second book out in the Monster Hunter International series. Um, that's also might be a good choice because he did improve vastly between the first and second books. Well, I may give it a try once I decide to take up reading again. <laughs> Apparently I have, uh, when I decided to take up reading again, I decided to overdose. <laughs> <laughs> I just have been. I've been trying to get caught up, not even caught up with my reading, just caught up with the fact that I am reading. And I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Yeah. I, I like Larry. I like Larry Korea because I think he makes interesting characters. I like Larry Korea because. He does a lot of action in his books. He doesn't let his stories sit around and get stale. He blows things up. He has car chases and gunfights. I like Larry because he does great descriptions. That is, when you're reading his action scenes, you know what's going on, and he knows how to describe them. Uh, I like Larry because he keeps his stories moving. I like Larry because his goal is to entertain the audience and he doesn't lecture them at all. Um, I like Larry because right before I started reading Larry, I was on a urban fantasy kick 
and I read a couple of OK Urban Fantasy novels, and then, because I was reading, you know, Jim Butcher, I was reading Harry Dresden, and I thought, man, and I ran out of Harry Dresden, I thought, man, I want to read some Harry Dresden, but there isn't any more. I'll try some off-brand Harry Dresden. <laughs> and that didn't go well. So I read a couple of books. They were actually okay, but they weren't Harry Dresden. And then I read a couple of books that were awful, just terrible. They were about a monster hunter who didn't hunt monsters. I don't understand. Whose approach to evil monsters who literally ate human beings for food was to worry about the ecological balance of unnatural, horrific things. I, why? That's, that's not, that's not what monster, no. Now, this is the same person who got that guy later. This happened years later. Who got that guy kicked out of Worldcon and, uh, or whatever that convention was in London. World Fantasy Con. There was a big, big comedian who uh, Neil Gaiman had gotten set up and who has continued to be this woke, miserable person since then. These are a couple of uh, couple of novels she wrote, but when she sees her character in the novel now, when she sees a slavering beastie who lives by eating human babies, her character's response is to say, won't somebody think of the beastie? Well, I was angry after I got off those two books. So Monster Hunter International came along. And the main character and main group in Monster Hunter International... Their primary concern when seeing such a slavering beastie is where can I get more ammo? And so you've got to understand that I was in the perfect frame of mind to read Monster Hunter International and to want to continue reading it because I was angry and I wanted a good book to read and a good Monster Hunter book to read. We're Monster Hunters and this was a shocking revelation where monster hunters actually hunted monsters. <laughs> I, 
I, I will give him that. Even in his first book, it was definitely about shooting monsters. So uh, yeah, that is why I latched onto the series despite flaws the first book might have had. You know what my mistake was uh, reading the first book is that I, I knew who Larry Correa was and had read his blog and, and stuff. Oh, I, we even had him on the show before I read Monster Hunter International. Yes. So the fact that <laughs> the uh, main character is, is unashamedly Larry Correa. <laughs> it's just what if what if what if the main character were a really tall big accountant who also liked guns but also shot monsters and got the girl and everything blah blah blah. I'm like all right, fine. I'm just, I'm going to let this happen. <laughs> it was it, it was entertaining but I I kept rolling my eyes every chapter. Um, good. I'm glad that it scratches that itch. I hope I'm glad he gets the shooting in and the. That's what you want out of a monster story. Either you want a tragedy where you know, you know, doomed people get mauled to pieces, or you get a proper adventure story where, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger figures out how to evade the monster's notice and brings all of his guns and muscles to bear to take it out. What's great about Monster Hunter International is it is what happens next after the horror movie's over. So you have the blonde bimbo who lives past the end of the horror movie, and she's the only one who does. She survives the vampires. And then you have the one guy who survived the zombie movie. Right? Everybody else mm -hmm. got eaten, but he's the one guy who survived. Only this time it's the black guy who survived. He didn't get eaten first. He escaped. Right, because, uh, because screw conventions. And then you have one guy who survives the big evil werewolf. And all these people get put on a team. So what happens after the movie's over? Well... They get picked up by a professional monster hunter team, trained on how to kill monsters, put together on a team, and they go off to kill more monsters. So he took every single cliched character from monster movies, from B-movie monster movies, and he knew this because his hobby was watching B-movie monster movies, cheaply made monster movies, and then he showed the complicated side to all these characters. You know, the, the black guy isn't just the black guy. He's also really, really smart. Um, and the blonde bimbo isn't just a blonde bimbo. She's uh, uh, really aware and smart, and she's really, really tough and can fight. And, you know, this guy isn't just an accountant. He's an accountant who can shoot really well. <laughs> And he puts them all on a team and they go fight monsters. So that's why MHI is actually interesting. It's because it's what happens next after the sole survivors of these movies. What do they do next? 
it's it's an interesting twist on monster movies. A welcome twist. Yes, in a lot of ways. So that's why I would recommend this series, even if you didn't like the first one, because of uh because it was a first book that the author ever wrote, and because that the character was originally modeled on Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Um, but it is, you know, it has depth there and it has interesting twists there. Cool. I don't have any more questions. Uh, it sounds like uh, next time I want a little more action and monster stuff. I would do well to pick up the next book in the series and give Larry Korea another chance. I would recommend it highly. Um, I didn't have anything else uh, to ask or to talk about for today. How about you? Uh, no. And we are... We're out of time. We're out of time, yeah. It's been good. It's been good. I appreciate everybody hanging out uh, in chat. It's but it's been fun talking with you guys. Really fascinating stuff to talk about this week. I love it when we get a chance to do these shows with little or no theme and just get to explore what's on our minds. And I hope everybody listening live later appreciated it as well. I am yeah. really glad we got to talk about Monster Hunter International because I really do love that series. It's, it's got a lot of fans. Um, that's it for me for this week, Daddy Warpig. Thanks for hanging out with me as always. Uh, it's, it's always good to hear what you're up to. Sorry, I was just... I, I was just letting you letting you take a swig. Letting you take a, <laughs> a swig. swig. Before we get to... <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Let's see. Let's see if we can back this up. Do we have any guests we don't have any guests coming we don't have any guests lined up or anything like that next weekend next weekend is the 14th and then the weekend the next two weekends are uh we're probably not going to have a show so we might have one more show before the holiday season kicks in and then it'll be sporadic through the rest of the year uh we don't have any guests right now all right oh well i just have to say that it's darn cold in this house Bring the snow. <laughs> oh, yeah. We already got the cold. It's just... Yeah, I actually had to go out and uh, scrounge up another blanket because... Uh, not for my whole body, just for my upper body because it's been getting real cold in this house at night. It's been getting so cold it wakes me up in the middle of the night. And that is an unpleasant way to wake the hell up. That's why the Hawaii thing has been on my mind. <laughs> But once I got this slightly thicker blanket, I just put it across my arms and my chest, and then I've been warm in that area. So I haven't had to <laughs> I haven't had to wake up like that. I want a place where I can sleep without mosquitoes and yet sleep where it's warm. That's not too much to ask for. And hopefully that's out of the way of major hurricanes. That's why Florida was a, uh, you know, X off the charts. <laughs> 
and also without the humidity that's why the whole south was was kicked out pretty early in my consideration i have been thinking about this this is not a bit <laughs> i have actually been seriously considering a major lifestyle change away from the desert <laughs> i'm sorry utah i love you but i uh when i get rich i'm going <laughs> <laughs> all my family lives in this state it's going to be hard to leave them but man i uh i don't want a warm place to live okay that wasn't where i was supposed to go with this i was supposed to go something like thanks everybody for tuning into the show we really really appreciate everybody who jumped in uh to the chat um everybody who's listening live and jumped into the chat to participate we want to thank everyone who will uh, listen later. Uh, you can listen on, of course, youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. Or you can listen to us on the iTunes store, the Google Play store, or soundcloud.com. That's soundcloud.com. That way you can subscribe to the podcast, uh, listen to it on. There we go. Just had to get that out. You can listen to us on the iDevice of your choice. Listen to us on an Android device or listen to us live on the web or download it for uh, any other device you choose. In fact, I bet if you had a Zoom and you really, really wanted to, you needed to, you were just hung up on the Zoom and you wanted to make this show Zoom-tastic. I'm betting you could download it off SoundCloud.com and do that if you really, really wanted to. That's how dedicated we are to your comfort, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We are signing off for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.